Um, yeah, for those of you who don't know, I'm Becca, um, and I've got the privilege of speaking on Daniel 3 today, um, which is one of my absolute favourite passages in the Bible. Um, and my hope is that today, if you don't already know this passage, you will learn something new. But if you do know this passage, actually God will reveal something to you through me um, that you've never realised before or something that's really struck a chord, which I really pray um, is going to happen as well. Um, just before we get into this book and a bit of a recap of what we've already done, I want to let you guys know that Daniel is a historical book that it actually happened. And I've got a slide um, of some Babylonian chronicle kind of things which kind of just affirm actually how this is a historical book that it actually happened that the king of the time King Nebuchadnezzar was a real king so actually what we're reading what some people can be like oh it's like a fairy tale story it's like a you know the good wins and the bad loses it's actually no this is real life um, and we can learn so much from it um so where we left off two weeks ago, Duncan uh, took us through Daniel, Daniel 2, but I just want to revisit Daniel 1 for those who might have never read this book before, have no idea what it's about, but it's about a guy called Daniel. He's great. Um, he follows the Lord. He loves the Lord. Um, and basically, we start off in Daniel 1, um, where Jerusalem has been uh, besieged by this king called King Nebuchadnezzar, and he's completely took over. He's brought loads of people out of Jerusalem, brought them into Babylon, and and um, he's basically captivated like everything and he's took everything and made it his own. And with all of that, he takes Daniel and his three mates out of the comfort of whatever life they were li living before, out of their Hebrew lifestyle and into this Babylonian lifestyle. And actually, we see um, in Daniel 2 that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar has brought up these young men to come into leadership positions, and he's brought them into really good education, and he's offered them to eat this amazing food with him and everything like that. And then in Daniel 2, we see that King Nebuchadnezzar actually um, has this dream, and he's really freaked out by the dream. He's like, what does this mean? I don't know what it means. Can someone interpret this dream for me? Um, he asks his right-hand men, the Chaldeans, and they are too scared to say anything because they know that if they get it wrong, they will definitely die. So um, everyone, everyone shushes, no one talks, but Daniel steps forward and says, I'll interpret this dream. I believe this is what God is saying through this dream. Um, and at the end of Daniel 2, we see that King Nebuchadnezzar it says he has turned to the Lord, which is a pretty profound statement. And you think, oh, wow, that is so amazing. Daniel stepped out in faith, and now King Nebuchadnezzar like, believes in God. This is so good. But then in Daniel 3, we take a really, really quick turn, and other stuff happens. And I don't know the time frame between 2 and 3, but whatever it was, we see that Nebuchadnezzar has changed his heart. And we see that he has built this 90-foot tall statue, um, golden image, and has said, everyone in the province of Babylon needs to bow down and worship this statue when we hear all this amazing music being played. So he lists it and it says it's like a horn, a pipe, a lyre, a trigon. I don't know what those instruments are. But he also says a bagpipe as well, which I think is pretty interesting. You know, don't know what that's going to sound like. But um, basically, when this music starts playing, um, he expects everyone to bow down and worship. And he tells all of his officials, he says, this is what we're going to do from now on. So all of you basically obey my command. And they do, and people do bow down. And that is what happens. But actually, uh, 
as I mentioned before, Daniel's three mates, we're going to be introduced to them. They're called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And a bit of information about those guys on the next um, slide. Could we get that? Um, I'm a bit of a geek when it comes to like names. So when I meet someone for the first time, I do really like to know what their name means because I almost feel like it's such a spiritual thing to be like, wow, whenever someone says your name, they say, you are this or you are that. And um, what I find really interesting about these three guys is their Hebraic names that they were born with actually point to God, but their Babylonian names that they have been changed to uh, point to a false God. Um, so we see that Hananiah, who is Shadrach, um, his name used to mean Yah is gracious, which actually means God is gracious, Yah meaning God. Um, and then it was changed to Shadrach, which means common of a coup, which is basically this false God. And then Michel, uh, who is what El is, El meaning God, who is what God is. No one is like God, that's basically what it means. Changed to Meshach is who is as Aku is, another false God. And lastly, Azariah, his name was meaning God has helped, Yah has helped, and changed to Abednego, which means slave of the God of this false God as well. So I think that's quite interesting because you actually see that not only has this king taken them out of their land in Jerusalem and taken them out of their comfortable lives and the lives where they were just spent worshipping God and doing what they needed to do, but they've actually changed their identity, that when people call them by their name, they call them by this false God, or they call them by something that they weren't born with. And I think that's a really interesting thing for us to know as we go into the story, that actually in this time they were living in, the, the Babylonians were trying to change their identity. So we're going to go into the scripture now, um, and it's Daniel 3. Oh, I'm sorry if if you can't read that fully, but um, I'll read along and then hopefully you guys will be able to read with me. Daniel 3, 8 to uh, verse 30, um, and I'll just read this now for you. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image and whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning fiery furnace there are certain Jews whom you've appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon Shadrach Meshach and Abednego these men O king pay no attention to you they do not serve your gods or the worship the golden image that you have set up then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered them and said, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression on his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. 
He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it usually was heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's orders was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counsellors, Did we not cast three men in bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had had no power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. It's a lot. It's a long passage. If you've never read it before, it's kind of difficult to understand. But one thing I didn't mention was, if you don't bow to this image that Nebuchadnezzar set up, you go into a burning fiery furnace and you will immediately die. Um, and so what we see here is actually Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego got found out. They didn't bow before this image. Um, and we know that the Chaldeans at the beginning of this passage actually grasped on them and they were like, these guys aren't bowing down. What are you going to do about it? But what we see as well is actually... We don't understand what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were going through personally. We don't know their personal response or their personal struggle with what they decided to do. But what we do know is they decided not to bow before the, th before the image. They stood when everyone else was bowing. So if you've seen anyone like in a crowd of people standing when everyone else is like sat down or bowing, they're going to stick out. They're going to be really obvious. And th just this next slide as well, please. Their actions were not hidden, but neither were they public. They were not hidden, they were not closed behind, behind closed doors, but they also weren't kicking and screaming and making a scene. They were just blatantly stood there, actually almost like, people will see us and that's okay because we don't want to bow before this image. And I wonder, has anyone ever been like blatantly caught doing something? I can't really think of many bad examples in my life, but one of them that I like usually always do is I like to be the center of attention, um, which I'll be honest about. And I could stand there for like 10 minutes pulling a funny face, waiting for someone to look and laugh at me. And I'm just waiting to be caught because I'm like waiting for that attention or whatever. And it's, I think it's the same principle, not in the same way, 
But with what Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were doing is they wanted to be caught. They were standing ready to be seen, ready to be seen by everyone who was bowing down as well. And uh, they were blatantly refusing to bow as well. And I don't know whether they were praying or they were just thinking about what they were doing while they were standing, but actually they knew that in that there was a chance that they could possibly die for their actions. And so we see before that the Chaldeans grasped on these th three Hebrew lads and was like, they're not bowing before your throat, before this image that you've done. Um, and Nebuchadnezzar, honestly, I, I actually think he's quite shocked because these three men are part of his kingdom, a part of his leadership program that he's doing with these young men. So he's like, well, I don't, I don't believe this. I, I can't believe these three young men wouldn't bow before this image that I've set up. So um, he brings them into his office and he has a little chat with them. Um, and before they could even start playing this music again, ready for these three boys to bow, they still said they weren't going to do it. There's no point in even playing the music. Look, we're just not going to bow. Um, and the first time I ever read this passage, or I actually ever really understood it, um, was when I was 16 years old. I went to a youth conference um, in Bradford and there was this American guy speaking on Daniel 3. And, um, and one of the biggest things that I took away from that uh, com uh, conference that he shared about this was actually, he read from the NLT translation and he read um, pa uh, verse 18. And I'm just going to start reading from 16 to go to 18. But it says... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing, fiery furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the golden statue that you have set up. For even if he doesn't save us from this burning, fiery furnace, we're still not going to worship your God, actually. But even if he doesn't, we win, because then we get to be with our God and not in this land where we're forced to worship other gods. That's a massive statement to, to make, even if he doesn't, when your life is literally on the line. And it's a question to us. Are we confident to say, even if God doesn't save me from this thing, Will I still worship God? Will I still choose to put him first? Better yet, how many of us can actually say that over the things that we desire rather than just a bigger thing of our life? How many of us can say, oh, but even if I never get to do this thing, or never, even if I never get to see this thing, is my life still worth living? When I was um, in the lockdown, in the first lockdown, when it was May 2020, and it was absolutely awful um, and no one was allowed to like leave the house let alone like just be out on the streets um, I was rereading Daniel and I, I reread it in NLT translation and I just came to that verse and I was like but even if I never come out of this house and never get to like live in a COVID free world again or I never get to do the things that I want to do is my life still worth living do I still have purpose and the answer is yes, because my life is spent living and worshipping for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Sometimes we can feel like that little snippet of life that we're going through where it's really, really difficult. Um, we feel like it's never going to end and that our life is just, there's just no point anymore because this is just a really difficult time that I'm in. But actually, as Christians, our hope and our knowledge 
is not in the fact that life will be easy, because we know it won't. But it's actually spent worshipping God, laying everything before him and saying, actually, no, in this world, I choose God rather than the things of this world. And realistically, if you follow God, if you believe in God, if you worship him, you have everything to live for. You have everything to live for than those who don't know who God is. And also our expectations of our life um, are not the be all and end all. How many of us have ever actually had an expectation of something and then it didn't meet that expectation and you just thought, this is pointless, I can't believe I'm doing this anymore. Because our expectations don't always align with God's and we might always put ourselves at the center of something that we want to happen and and then God's like, no, I actually want this to happen. And then you're like, oh, I can't believe it. There's, um. a a book in the Bible called Isaiah and it's a book of prophecy and it's a book where God speaks to Isaiah and tells him about the things that have happened and the things that will happen and also just tells him a lot of God's character, his character and in it God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways and if that's not a wake-up call to be like stop living this like self-centered life. I don't know what is because actually when we choose to follow God, we're choosing God's ways. We're choosing the life that God wants us to live. But the world says other things. The world says different. You know, I could list a different bunch of people that I've met in my life who have said, oh no, my goal in my life is to please my parents and to make them proud of what I'm doing. Or in my generation, I find that actually my goal in life is to make sure my social media is amazing and that my life looks perfect and everything else in my life might be a mess, but if my social media looks perfect, then I've won. And then I think for the younger generation, uh, my generation as well, but the younger generation as we're coming up, I definitely see it's like, actually, if you just make yourself happy, that's fine. It doesn't matter how many people you hurt along the way, as long as you're doing what you need to do, that's fine. But actually, that's, that's not the call that we've been given as Christians. The call that we've been given as Christians is to live our life for God. And that looks like sacrificing things that the world would say we're stupid for. And um, there's another book in the Bible. I'm just going to keep referring to books in the Bible. But um, there's a book called Job. And if you've ever read that book, it's, it's a difficult book to read. Um, basically, this guy called Job loses his wife, loses his family, loses everything, and he still chooses to worship God. Um, and there's a chapter um, called Still I Will Hope in God. And one of the verses in that chapter, he says, um, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Like, that's similar to, but even if he doesn't, like, that's a big statement to make and actually mean it when you say it as well. Because we can live in a really difficult world. We can feel like everything around us is crumbling. But actually choosing to worship God, choosing to trust God amongst all of that is the best thing that we can do. And choosing to trust God like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego did all the way into the fiery furnace. So when we read uh, around the verses of 22, they they bound them in in whatever they did, whether, whether it was like rope or anything like that. But actually, they made them go into the fire with their clothes on. And if anyone's seen a fire be ignited by clothes, it just goes really fast. And so basically, it was the quickest way to execute them, the quickest way to know that they were going to die. And when we read verse 22, and it says, even the men that took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up to the fiery furnace died because of the heat. How the heck were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego meant to survive? Um, And just to go back to Isaiah as well, 
in um, Isaiah 43, there's actually a prophecy of this very moment in Daniel. Um, and it says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. Not only in that prophecy do we see Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, but we see Moses as well. If anyone knows the story of how the um, Israelites came out of captivity in Egypt, they went through the sea. And that was God in that moment with them, helping them walk through the sea. And in here we see Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego being in the fire, not consumed by the fire, but actually in the promise that God was with them. And as I said before, these men, when they threw Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego into the fire, didn't survive. So I reckon when they did that, all of Nebuchadnezzar and his officials and everyone that he was with was just like, okay, fine, they're dead now. Probably started walking away. Probably thought, you know, they're gone. It's not a problem. And I wonder if Nebuchadnezzar turned around and just suddenly saw four silhouettes. Or like, maybe he just like had to go and grab something and then looked again and was like, what? And it says that he then asked his guards, he said, how many guys did we send into the fire? Because suddenly I see four and we only put three men in there. And there's different interpretations actually um, of who that fourth person was. Uh, my translation says the son of God, um, a son of the gods, which I take as that's Jesus, that's Jesus in the fire, and others say angel, but regardless of what it was, actually it's a picture that God is in the fire with us. God is in that trial with us when we're going through difficult situations. And it says as well that they're just walking in the midst of the fire. And I think if it, like, I believe it is Jesus, and if they're just walking around, I wonder if they saw Jesus, I wonder if they started to realize, hang about, we're in this fire and we're not getting burned. I can talk, I can breathe, I can, I can do all these things. I don't understand what's going on. But only God knows what was happening actually in that fire. And only God can say, oh yeah, I know exactly what happened. That encounter that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego had with me in that fire. So then to get them out, King Nebuchadnezzar calls them by their name, but then he also affirms their identity. He says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out. He's affirming who they are. And not only that, but he's actually proclaiming that actually the God you serve is the most high God. The God you serve is the real and true God. And from this passage, we know Actually, God can deliver us from a trial. We can go through a really difficult time and God can be there. But also God can be a miraculous um, healing, sustaining and strengthener in our trial as well. And there's people in the Bible that face trials and actually never got to see the end of it. You know, I'm thinking of Stephen in the New Testament, the first martyr who died for the gospel. And he did die and, he got to, and he's with Christ now, which is amazing and other disciples that actually died for their faith. And that is something in our culture, in our world, that, in our country that we live in, and we don't actually experience it, but actually brothers and sisters across the globe experience it in different countries. And that in itself is something in, in, that's important to remember because actually even if it all ends, even if we lay everything down and we've lost everything, 
It's a refining moment for us to be like, no, God was with me in that. God is with me in that. And God sustained me in that time. And in Isaiah 48, 10, it says, Behold, I have refined you, but not of silver. I have tried you in the fire of affliction. And if anyone knows anything about refining metals and glass and stuff like that, you have to get the, the fire really, really hot. And then you take the thing out and you mould it and you reshape it and then it becomes this new amazing thing. And that's something for us as Christians to know that we go through refining moments all the time. We will be refined in that fire, but actually we'll be stronger when we come out the other side. Or we're stronger when we're in it because actually God is with us. And we see the aftermath of this whole thing. Nebuchadnezzar's just affirmed their identity, said, servants of the most high God, And then he says in verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own. This just reminds me of a verse in Romans 12, 1, which says, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. There's a call for us in the Old and the New Testament to just live sacrificially and live like, actually, you know, God is worth everything. And that's a big call for us to have. Actually, God is worth my life. God is worth this thing that I really love, that I really want to do, but I don't feel like it's right for me. God is worth all of these things. And there's a call for us to stand firm when the world is telling us something that actually, you know, we stand firm in what we feel like God is saying to us as well. And the funniest part really is actually at the end, Nebuchadnezzar. So initially he said, if no one bows down to this statue that I've set up, you'll be thrown into a burning fiery furnace. But then he says, if anyone says anything bad against the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. Um, Honestly, I know they're both like really, really terrible, but I'm going to say that the latter is the worst one because it's not just you who's individually been um, kind of affected by what it, this consequence that you've done, but actually it's, your, it's a generational thing because it's your house, it's your family, it's your neighbours. So we see that actually God is kind of reigniting his authority in this land. They say, no, I'm, I am God and I am here and I am present and you must acknowledge me because I am God. And we're going to face trials as Christians, that's actually a guarantee um, we're going to face dif- difficult things because right now we live in a culture that affirms things like this statue King Nebuchadnezzar set up. And Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego showed us just one way of how we can go against the culture and go towards God and stand firm and live for God. And Daniel in the previous chapter did the same thing. And we're going to see in the next coming weeks as we go through Daniel more and more that actually... Um, We can witness different things in how we can become witnesses for God and stand firm. And it's not the same for everyone. It's not a comparative journey that we go through, but actually the call is the same. The call is the same to be countercultural in the area that we live and in the places that we are. So I'm going to pray for us right now, and then we'd really love to lead into a time of ministry, actually, because if you feel like you haven't stood firm in elements of your life where you're like, no, I really do believe this is what God's saying about that one particular thing, or maybe it's actually like I've never felt the need to stand up for my faith, and I actually really want that. 
um, we're going to give some time to do that. Yeah, so Father God, I thank you so much for this time that we've had together to read your word and to understand what it is that you are saying to us. Lord, I pray that actually we would stand firm like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego did and be able to know that you are God, that you are good and we trust you in the difficult and the good times. Yeah, Lord, we pray that this word that we have read today would be something that reminds us more of who you are and actually would we be able to be different because of this word that we've read today. In Jesus' name, amen.